on this lovely, beautiful day in remembrance of our country, we would want to ask the question, what might we as a Christian body do to honor the memory of those who have preceded us in this great country of ours? We have arrived, of course, at a season in time and history when America is indeed in need of great help. My question to this covenant body here today might be, what would God want us to do? What would be maybe among the higher priorities that we could devote ourselves to in this season of time when America is being tested so severely. There are many battlefronts to be waged in this country. And it would take a long time to even enumerate the many different fronts that would require vigilant, God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled Christians standing on the front lines to bring America back to what it once was. But I was thinking on this, and I came to the conclusion that while there are many, many battles to be waged, one that must stand at the very pinnacle and very highest of priorities would be the battle for our children. The battle to save our children. We are engaged in this country in a war on children. The war on children has so many different battlefronts that it would be difficult to enumerate them all. That battle has been underway for a long time. The war against children goes back for a long, long time. I recall vividly when America began its cultural revolution in 1960 that the war on children was well underway in 1960. But very few Americans would have ever imagined that that war against children would rise to the level that it is today. The war on children today has reached a point in time where we as a body of Christian people dare not allow ourselves to become desensitized, calloused, and uncaring about what is happening to our children. We must acutely be aware of what is going on with our children. So I want to remind this congregation today of how much the Bible has to say about children. We're very familiar with a lot of the, the verses in the Bible. The Bible from cover to cover, from Genesis to the very final words in Revelation, 
have a lot to say about children and the responsibility of parents, grandparents, and collectively all people. For children are a key component for the future of any nation. Everyone has a responsibility regarding children. You may not be the parent of a child, but children are still vital for your future. So on this historic season, when we, we give memory to America and its birthday and its time in history, I'd like to remind everyone here today that when the pilgrims and the Puritans who followed them came to America, when the successive waves of Europeans arrived in this primeval wilderness called America, they brought children with them. Children lived through all the, the times, the difficult times that America was being established and civilized. Children bore just as much of the weight of the sorrow as anyone else, if not more. And the little bodies of children that lie buried in the soil of this country, who never tasted of adult life, simply because they were a generation who did not have the benefits of great civilized lifestyle, perished for want of food, proper clothing, hygiene, and many other things. So we want to, in honor of our country's birthday, Remember children today, and I'd like to zero in on the war against children that has centered in probably one of the most heinous crimes against God and against all Christians that could ever be levied, and that is infanticide, the murder of the unborn children. Now we know that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 24 that we have an obligation to address the fact that children are defenseless, innocent victims of the war that is being levied against them. The congregation be so kind to turn with me now to the, to the book of Proverbs, we're going to turn to Proverbs chapter number 24, and we'll engage in reading from Proverbs 24. And if the congregation would be so kind to look at your Bibles and look at Proverbs 24, verses 10 through uh, 11. If we could join our voices together in the reading of those words, I would appreciate it very much. We might do that. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Verse 11. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn for death, 
and those that are to be slain. If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that hardeneth the heart, and keepeth the silence, doth he not know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? Then if you'd be kind enough to turn to Proverbs 31, Proverbs 31, verse 8. Open thy mouth for the dumb in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Consider that verse. Open thy mouth for the dumb. How can a nation, how can a nation of people, particularly if they call themselves Christian, remain silent in the face of infanticide? How can that be? How can we remain passive and silent in the pathway of a nation whose children are being guided toward infanticide in many different ways. Verse 9, open thy mouth. That sounds like a command. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, plead the cause of the poor and the needy. There's no class of people in this country today that are more urgently in need of someone to speak for them than innocent children. So I beg of this congregation to consider the importance of our being a proactive body in the cause of saving our children. We have been very blessed in this congregation. And I want to show you and demonstrate for you how truly blessed we have been with children. The single greatest commodity, the greatest blessing that we as a body, a church family can have are children. And I'd like to have all the children who are able to walk up here. Would you all come up here? Everybody under 10. All children under 10. Little. If they can walk, let them come. And I'd like to have all the newborn babies that have been born in the last two or three years, if they could come up. All the newborn babies, if you as a parent could bring them up. I want to acknowledge before my Father in heaven today on the celebration of America's birthday, how important we consider children to be to all of this body. Based upon my calculation, and I'm not very good at calculation, but I think, I believe that we have had 24, 25 children born in this small country body of people in the last two and a half or three years. For the newborn children, that for 24, 25 babies to be born in the last two or three years, that's a lot of children, and most of them are not up here. I'm not sure where they're at. Anyway, we want to thank and praise God for these children. 
So I ask you to pause for a moment and let's pray and thank God for these children and pray that he will bless them and that they will be multiplied many times over in the unfolding days. Let us pray. God, our Father, how grateful we are for the children that you have blessed this congregation with. We are humbled and grateful, thankful beyond words that you have been so gracious to bless us with little ones who are the key to the future dominion of the earth. And how can we occupy as Jesus commanded till he comes if we do not have children? Lord God, how will there be anyone at the gates to meet the enemy if we do not have children? Thank you now for the parents and for the grandparents and for extended family who have been so gracious to lend help to these families that are bringing forward children. And for this we give you all praise Glory and honor in Christ's name and for the glory of his kingdom. Amen. Thank you, boys and girls, and you may return now to your parents. When we, le when we think about children, beloved, I can think of no greater honor than to remind this congregation of the love that Christ had for children. How much of the New Testament and the Gospels are devoted to verses that elevate the love Jesus had for children? If Christians today could be as devoted to the love of children as the Bible tells us Jesus was, we would be a country that would have reversed Roe versus Wade before it was ever a law handed down by the Supreme Court of the United States. From my point of view, Roe versus Wade was an act of a legislative body, which the, the United States Supreme Court is not supposed to be. United States uh, Supreme Court is supposed to be overseeing and watching the guardian of the Constitution of the United States, not a legislative body making law. Now, sadly, beloved, what most of you know, and I only remind you of this, that when Roe versus Wade was rescinded, the left went ballistic. You know this. You know that the cry that was raised against the idea of a reversal of Roe versus Wade. The liberal television networks never ceased. Their murmuring, complaining, shouting, their obscenities against the Supreme Court and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Please remember that by the time that happened, 
61 million little unborn children had been murdered in this country. This is a shame, it is a disgrace, and it is a commentary on the nature of the churches in this land. How could a land filled with churches, how could a nation that proposed to be a Christian nation have tolerated the murder of their children from 1973 until just about a year ago when Roe versus Wade was rescinded. Now the problem that we have, beloved, is that the war against children has been underway for a very, very long time. What I find today that is even more abhorrent than the murder of children in planned parent abortion murder mills is the birth of children that is being interrupted by chemical abortion. If my statistical factual investigation is wrong, I will stand corrected publicly. Based on everything I can find, 61% of all children unborn, murdered now in the womb, is by chemical abortion at home. That, to me, identifies America as a nation with a heart problem. A nation that has lost its spiritual and moral bearing with God. When a nation is ready to accept and condone the calloused, insensitive murder of the defenseless, innocent, unborn children, that nation is due the judgment from God. And God will write the last chapter. There is no sin in America that rises to the level of the murder of innocent, unborn children. I would like for this congregation to turn with me now to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18. And I would like for you all to join with me now as together we look at Matthew chapter number 18 for just a moment. Pay particular attention now to the words found in Matthew 18 and we'll begin at verse number 1. Together, Matthew 18, please, for the sake of our children, let's read these for the glory of God. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, 
and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into this life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. Now pause at that verse, if you will, please. I'd like for all parents of little children to read that verse carefully. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Just a theological question for all Bible students. Are we supposed to believe that suddenly verse number 11 no longer is applicable to children? Are we to believe that suddenly when we come to Matthew 18, which is a featured chapter on children, that when we come to verse 11 and talk about the lost, that Jesus came to save, that we're no longer talking about children. We got to wait for them to grow up. Now, I ask that question because that's what vast numbers of parents in America are doing today. They are not appropriating God's word and God's blessing and God's covenant headship to their children. The children of this country, even among remnant families, are the ones that are being left out. They're the ones that are missing the blessings above all because they're being left outside the covenant. They're being left outside of the mercy and goodness of God for want of not having arrived in an age when they're considered worthy of such consideration. And I say, Shame on a generation that have abandoned their children and have removed them from the blessing of the covenant. Now, if we could digress for just a quick, quick moment. One of the first 
great prophecies delivered in the New Testament canon was given by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter number 2. When he came to the conclusion of that rather remarkable historic sermon, he ended it with this statement. In Acts 2, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you have crucified is both Lord and Christ. Now be patient and we'll get to the point. In response to the great sermon, Peter sat down and the men and women gathered there said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Responding to Peter's sermon. And the apostle Peter said, Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. For the promise is to you and to your children. Hold it. Peter's the great apostle. For the promise is to you and to your children. Were children left out in the first great covenantal sermon preached under the new covenant? The promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off. The far off dispersion. To all that are far off, even as many as fill in the blank. The Lord our God shall call. And he continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this untoward, perverted generation. Now, everyone that studied the New Testament knows that Christianity was born, born amid a very dark season of history when the Roman imperial government ruled the world. And all the Latin-speaking part of the Roman world, all of the Greek-speaking part of the Roman world, all the Hebrew-speaking part of that world were under Roman imperial domination. The Apostle Peter preached a sermon in that very dark season of history. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward perverted generation. It was a perverted generation. In the first century of the Roman world, in which Christianity was witnessing the birth of Jesus, and the birth of Christianity, the infanticide of children was part of that world. If you didn't like your child in ancient Rome, there were many different ways to abandon that child. 
All through history, children have been the ones who have suffered the greatest. The innocent, the defenseless, the children who have no voice of their own, who are wholly dependent upon others to speak for them, have been the victims throughout all of pagan history. Child sacrifice has been part of many of the religions of the world. Your own Bible is devoted to warning ancient Israel against child sacrifice. The sacrificing of children. During the reign of King Ahab, one of the favorite ways of honoring their pagan idolatrous gods was to take a firstborn son and when they built a building, they encased that child in the foundation as a sacrifice. All through history, God has warned his people, remember your children. Love your children. Multiply children. Love them. Train them. Discipline them. Educate them. For they are the future of everything you will ever hold dear. Without children, the institutions that we embrace in the Christian Western world have no future. So everything is hinging upon the foundation of the children being born. And the little folks that were up here a while ago will one day determine what kind of a congregation will be here. They will be the ones one day to determine whether this church will remain a Bible-believing, blood-washed, spirit-filled body, or if we will become a morally decadent, passive, uncaring body of Christians who will close our eyes to abortion, who will remain silent in the face of a sodomy and homosexuality, who will remain passive and silent in the face of every other form of immorality, God placed the church in the world to influence the culture. God did not intend for the world to invade the church and for the world to tell the church how to live. Too many Christians are now willing to let the world tell them how to live their lives. May God give us the courage, the fortitude, the faith to not only read from the Holy Scriptures, but to act upon them and raise our children in such a way that we will be their example, that we will be their model, that we will avoid profanity, 
that we will avoid the vices of alcohol and all the other vices that now impact America. And more, that more so even that we will avoid the, the immorality that is warring against the very soul of America today. May God give us courage and strength to be a moral body of believers, not that we may wear a badge of pride, but that we may walk in the fear of God and in humility, knowing that we are all sinners and in need of grace. Back now to the book of Matthew. But reminding you that when Jesus said that he had come to save the lost. I think a worthy theological question for, for parents might be this. Why would Jesus consider children spiritually lost when they had not arrived at any age of accountability? He's not talking about children that are arriving at an age where they have developed a mind to know what they ought to be thinking and acting upon. He simply says in verse number, in Matthew chapter 18, in verse number 11, for the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. If you look the word lost up in the Greek, it's apolome. And what does that Greek word mean? It means to perish. It means to be lost. Think about that. So Jesus continues, and we'll continue together, verse 12. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? So, for me, I feel compelled to speak against abortion, against infanticide. Because I do not want to stand before the judgment of God with the blood of millions of children on my hands because I remain silent in a country that has endorsed the murder of children. God help us to repent of that terrible, horrific sin. And if I could wish anything today, it would be that God would change the heart of the Christians of this land for the greatest and most horrific crime being committed today are those Christians who are participating in infanticide through chemical abortions without any compunction. Somehow, the insensitivity and the callousness say, against sin 
has now given a country enough insensitivity that even those who are so-called believers will abort their children. How can that be? Now, none of us are immune from this problem because this problem impacts the whole of the nation in many, many different ways. So Jesus in verse 13 says, If it be so that he find it, verily I send you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Now, the church here is participating in a family crisis center over in Eldorado Springs. And we are on record as being a very pro-life Christian body and that without compunction. So that everyone that's part of that organization will know that we love children, but we love them more than just simply lip service. We are willing to invest in helping educate Cedar and Vernon County in the horrific nature of what abortion means and how it can impact the future of our own children and this country at large. Now we're going to end this reading at verse 14. And I would ask you as parents to underline what I consider to be one of the most important verses in the Bible on children. Jesus said this in ending his homily on children. So if you'll read verse 14 with me, let's read it out loud in the record. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now I'm going to rest my case here on the idea that Jesus himself said that it was not his will that one, not even one of those little ones should perish. Who then is responsible for children? Well, we might say that first responsibility lies with the parents. We live in a generation today where growing numbers of people bypass marriage. They bring children into the world without a family structure. How sad. God designed marriage. God himself designed marriage as the only institution properly prepared to raise children, instruct them, train them, discipline them. God purposed for children to be born into a family with a father and a mother. Shame on a nation that is now on its way 
to bypass marriage and um, live life in free, so-called free fall from God's moral structure. And then if an unwanted pregnancy comes about, we will just visit the nearest planned parenthood abortion clinic. Shame on a nation that has reached that point of degradation. So on this 4th of July celebration, I would suggest that this congregation purpose to rededicate ourselves to children, to their multiplication, to their training, to their discipline, by way of interest, do you know that children who are trained to come into this sanctuary and quietly sit with their parents are undergoing one of the finest acts of discipline they will enjoy in this life? It's preparing them for life. I was asked by several people, why do we not send our children off to Sunday school? Because we do not want to introduce children to a peer group and separate them from their parents. We want children to know they were part of a family. Now we might be surprised at how much children absorb. I don't know how much they can absorb in a church service. But I will assure you that they will be far better off than you might imagine. And there's more taking place than you might believe. So today, on this historic celebration of the 4th of July, let's remember that we have an obligation to not only respect and honor our founding fathers and those who've gone before us, and when I say that, beloved, I remember, and I'm sure you do, that a lot of history passed before the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Jamestown was settled in 1607. The Pilgrims arrived in 1620. It was a very long time before Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. I'd like to remind the congregation that the more than 150 years between the pilgrims and the writing of the Declaration of Independence, that 150 years was the biblical foundation upon which America rose to greatness. The founding fathers who laid the groundwork for the Republic of the United States, I did not say democracy. The Founding Fathers would not want us to even use the word democracy in a favorable way. Matter of fact, it's got the word demon as part of the basic word. They gave us a republic. Back, Ben Franklin was asked at the end of the Constitutional Convention by 
a person living near the building where they gathered, they asked Dr. Franklin, what kind of a government a country have you given us? His reply was, we have given you a republic if you can keep it. Republic is a representative government based upon a constitutional covenant. That was America. So today we rededicate ourselves to the principles for this, upon which this country was built. All the signers of the Declaration of Independence, with the exception of maybe two of those 56 signers, were Christian believers. And the only other two that might have been in question would claim that they were. So we were established on a wonderful foundation. And may God help us to perpetuate that foundation. To be a grateful people. And may we do everything in our power to not only encourage our state senators, state legislators in Jefferson City, but we can be grateful in, in Missouri to have two of the most pro-life senators serving in the United States Senate. Eric Smith and Josh Hawley, both committed to be pro-life senators. And they have proven that by action. So on this day, our duty as Christians and parents is to make sure and certain that our children will grow up in God-fearing, Bible-believing ways and walk the ancient pathways marked in Holy Scripture. Shall we be standing?